You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. There's a phrase that uh, I think all of us all of us have used in our lifetimes. We've certainly thought it, even if we haven't said it. Uh, it's also a phrase that when we've heard other people say it, that there's either some sense of horror or hilarity that follows as we go through trying to prove this proclamation that we've just made by our actions. And this phrase is, as I said, something that you probably have said a few times in your life. But let me just see if this rings true for you right now. See if this rings a bell. I've got this. I've got this. Oftentimes it's followed by another couple of words that don't always lead to something very good. It's watch this. I've got this. I've got this under control. Now, right in this moment, as I have said that, probably in the corners of your mind, you're beginning to sift through your memories and think about all the times that you uttered those words, I've got this, and then what ensued afterwards. Or maybe somebody else around you. As we approach Christmas time, I would venture to say that there have been a lot of Christmas mornings or the night before Christmas, Christmas Eve, where this has been said many times. Like, I've got this while I'm trying to put something together at the last minute. I've got this. Or maybe the Christmas morning when we got that toy or we got that tool and we're like, I've got this. I've got this figured out. Or I've got this bike down. I can go do this. I think a few years ago when everybody got a hoverboard for Christmas, that was a phrase that everybody said and then after that I'm not sure many people had this like there's a lot of video fails out there when people stepped onto those little hoverboards going I've got this and we enjoyed all of the videos so thank you for filming those if that was you I also can't help but remember the Christmas story the classic movie where Ralphie just wants a BB gun, a Red Ryder BB gun, and no matter what everybody else tells him, including Santa, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like, no matter what is said to him, he still wants this BB gun. And in his mind, he's got this. If you'll just give it, I got this if you give it to me. I remember the Christmas morning that I got mine. Many, many years ago, it was a daisy pump action little BB gun. And, and I, in my mind, said I've got this so many times. And probably shot a lot of things that I shouldn't have, like birds and squirrels and all kinds of things. Probably a protected bird somewhere that's dead because of my BB gun. That's hopefully the statute of limitations has outrun itself at this point. <laughs> but nothing said I've got this like a kid who thinks he can handle something that he can't handle. And one day like no other, I was outside and I saw this silver spray paint can on the ground. And I decided that I was going to shoot it at point-blank range with my BB gun. Well, I did. And then I terrifyingly walked up to the door of the side of my house, to which my mother opened the door and saw the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. I was covered in silver metallic spray paint. From my head all the way down to my chest. I mean, 
literally looked like I was ready for the Wizard of Oz. I had this, but obviously I didn't have this. Obviously I wasn't ready, and that's kind of funny, and there's probably some DIY projects that you said around your house. I've got this until you had to call a professional in because you didn't really have this. There's some things you've tried to do in your lifetime that you said, I've got this, and you didn't really, and that's kind of funny right now, and and it was kind of funny back then for me, but here's the problem. What happens when the stakes are higher than a DIY? project what happens when the stakes are higher than a toy that you're putting together on Christmas morning what happens when it's your life and you're looking at God and you're saying I've got this I've got this now God watch this I don't think it's something that we would readily admit or even say out loud, but our actions give us away. Remember, much like wisdom is seen in what we do, right? Don't tell me you're wise. Show me that you're wise. That's what we've been learning. Well, the same holds true with pride and foolishness. You don't really have to tell somebody else that you're living a life in your own strength and your own wisdom making foolish decisions because you're showing people. I don't have to tell anybody when I've done something stupid it's pretty obvious we often live as if we have told God I've got this but the better response the response that I want to look at for us as believers and as the church if that's you then then I want us to look at the better response to God and that would be teach me Lord I'm listening I don't have this I don't, I don't got this at all. So teach me, Lord, I'm listening. So today we continue to focus on wisdom and I want to look at the wisdom of teachability. We looked at an overview on, on week one and, and then last week we looked at the wisdom of generosity and, and Caleb did a great job of following that up today. The wisdom of giving, the wisdom of trusting God. Today I want to talk about the wisdom of teachability as we continue in this series. Where is the wisdom? Folly, fanatics, and fools. Where we're really looking at the need that all of us have for wisdom, the actions of wisdom, and then the fruit of that wisdom, which the scripture says should be righteousness. The fruit of godly wisdom is righteousness that is evident in our lives. Conversely, at the same time, my hope is that we will shine light, the truth of God's word, on any folly or foolishness so that wherever we have pridefully chosen our own way, our own way, wherever we have told God, I've got this, wherever we've looked at the people that God's placed in our lives, whether it's pastors or leaders or brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever we've looked at the places and the people that God has put us and we've said, I've got this, that we would repent and begin to walk in wisdom because that is what God has called us to do. So our biggest obstacle to this goal is that most people who are being foolish, and I would include myself in this throughout my lifetime, are ignoring the wisdom of God and yet thinking we're doing the exact opposite. Most people that are acting foolish don't really think that they're acting foolish. Most people that think they've got this really believe they've got this, as I have in many times of my life. But to help today, I want to get into the primary book of wisdom in the Bible. It's the book of Proverbs. It's actually known as wisdom literature in the Bible. So I want to start in chapter 1, where we see the primary purpose for the book of Proverbs laid out very clearly. The book of Proverbs, like what is it for? Why do we have it? And here it is very clearly. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read the first seven verses. 
And here's what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction. That's what it's there for. For understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. That's what it's there for. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word in our lives. See, the writer of Proverbs, and conversely, like it's, instead of our own wisdom, the writer of Proverbs is saying, listen, there is a way to be wise, and I'm trying to impart to you two things. He's concerned with imparting two things. First of all, through the scripture, through the book of Proverbs, he wants to impart godly wisdom, and then secondly, he wants to impart a teachable spirit. Godly wisdom, that's what the book of Proverbs is, that we would read God's word. But listen, you can have all the information, all the Proverbs of the Bible and all the Proverbs that the world has to offer, but if you are not teachable, if you don't have a teachable spirit, it doesn't matter. I could read all of this, but if I'm not teachable, what good does it do? Teachability is paramount to walking in wisdom and being wise. And these verses make it very clear. Wisdom is not a wealth of knowledge, but wisdom is demonstrated in applying the Proverbs that we have read and heard to our lives in such a way that it reflects God's standards of righteousness, justice, and equity. Righteousness, justice, and equity. That's what comes out of living wisely and obeying God's word. Proverbs is trying to teach us how to be wise in very practical matters of life. Say, well, I'm not sure, and we talked about this. I don't know what exactly to do in this situation or this practical situation. Well, Proverbs is a place where you really do get some practical instruction. And, and, and it's saying, show me your wisdom by what you do. Because we will only experience wisdom, we will only live wisely through the Proverbs when we apply them to the entirety of our lives correctly. That's how we experience it. Last week I said, the reason I wanted to do this series is because the lack of wisdom that I've seen and continue to see in people who claim to be Christians. Right, it doesn't make any, uh, it's not a surprise that people that are not believers, the scripture's very clear, are not going to heed godly instruction, but it is a little bit of a shock, a little bit of shock to the system, if you will, of being a part of the body of Christ when Christians don't walk in wisdom. We're constantly faced with decisions and dilemmas and conundrums every day, and here's what we don't do. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. Scripture is very clear about that. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your path. If there's something that Proverbs is about, specifically and very simply, it's about two paths in life. It's trying to help you choose the path of godly wisdom versus the path of your own wisdom. Which path are you going to live on? That's what Proverbs is trying to help us do by showing us godly instruction and trying to help us have a teachable spirit. 
So in order to read Proverbs wisely, we have to read it with the posture of one who is committed to receiving and obeying the instruction that we hear or that we see. Because Proverbs is is helping us and pointing out that if you want to grow in wisdom, you have to also hear with your eyes. But how do I hear with my eyes? You hear with your eyes by what you see. It's also very simple. I hear with my eyes by what I read. When I read the Proverbs, I'm hearing with my eyes if I'll apply God's word, what I read, to my life. And then also we see in the world around us what God is doing and we hear him through what we see in somebody else's life. We hear him through what we see in our own life, in our own decisions, in somebody else's decisions. We see the wisdom of God or we see the wisdom of man. So we hear by what we see. And when we come humbly, committed to receiving and obeying the instruction. This is teachability, and teachability is wise, and it's required to walk in wisdom. Maybe you've struggled with the purpose of Proverbs. Because listen, I'll be honest, right? If you read Proverbs, it seems very different than every other book of the Bible. It's like, there's just, it's like these statements, these really cool statements, but these couplets of, okay, this, and, and if you do this, and, and it just doesn't, doesn't really tie in. I don't understand the whole narrative, how it ties in. And here's the truth of the matter. Because the word of God is living and active and breathing, one of the things that I realize about Proverbs is that it speaks to all of our lives. Because when I was much younger, this is something I've always done. In my Bible reading, what I try to do is I read a proverb and a psalm every day, right? Every time I sit down with the, with the Bible, although I, I I do other reading, but if you're like me, sometimes like, what do I read, and how much do I read, and how long do I stay, and where? It's like, well, I'm going to start here. I'm going to read one proverb, and I'm going to read one psalm, and then when I get through all of them, I just start back over, and I do it again. I've been doing this for a long time, all the way back probably when I was in high school and college. Not every day. I don't want to lie in church, but as much as I can. And one of the things that I noticed is that when I was younger reading the proverbs, right, I would read the ones that that were kind of... uh, tailored towards young people and and youth. And I would skip over the ones that were talking about parenting and children and and old age because that didn't pertain to me. And then as I had kids and had more kids, I started reading the Proverbs in a different way. I was like, oh, this this really makes sense. And I was not reading the ones about being youthful anymore. I was reading the ones about being a parent. And now that I'm old, I read the ones that are about being old. And they mean more to me than they did when I was a youth And here's the truth of the matter is I I read all of them, all the Proverbs. They seem to be applicable to all of us in every season of life because we never come to a place where we're not teachable. There's never a point in life where I've learned it all or I've learned enough. And the common theme of the scripture and this passage of the scripture in Proverbs is I'm always in need of hearing instruction, seeing instruction, instruction that I need to apply that will reflect godly wisdom, the godly knowledge that I'm taking in. And no matter our age, no matter our season of life, no matter our experience or lack thereof in life, it is, there is a prerequisite to scripture to obtain wisdom. And it's very simply this, the wise are teachable are you teachable there's a proper posture of the wise here's what it would sound like maybe I sit down with my Bible in the morning maybe I come to church on a Sunday morning maybe I go to a connect group during the week maybe I'm in a whatever a Bible study or an equip class or whatever it is in the context of this family and I say this 
I'm coming into this knowing I need to learn, desiring to learn, and willing to listen, hear, and apply. I'll say that again because this is the posture that we should all come with. I am coming into this knowing I need to learn, desiring to learn, and willing to listen, hear, and apply. That is how we should approach the Bible for sure in general, but this is also in particular how we should approach the book of Proverbs. I want to learn. I'm desiring to learn. I'm willing to listen with my eyes and hear and apply what I read. And when we don't, when we read God's word and in our minds we say, I've got this, there's a word that the Proverbs has for us, a fool. When we read the instruction of God's word, when we hear and see the instruction of God's word, and instead we say, God, I've got this, Proverbs says it's foolish. A foolish person will read the Proverbs and appreciate the knowledge without realizing that what they're reading is meant to guide them in their practical daily decisions as they choose the path of wisdom, God's wisdom, and the path of wisdom that will lead to righteousness. Now listen, every single one of us, let's just go ahead and get this out on the table. Every single one of us multiple times have chosen the wrong path. Thank God for his grace and forgiveness. But if I'm gonna be teachable, and I'm going to learn, then I don't want to choose that path again. I might, but that's not my desire. My desire is to choose godly wisdom. It would be like when we have the word of God and we don't apply it, when we have the things that God's placed in our life through the body of Christ and we don't listen, it's like having a map while we're lost and not reading it to get unlost. It's, it's like, I, I got the instructions, but I'd rather do this on my own. I've got this. Now, way back when, when we had nothing but maps, many of us said this. Many of us, to the detriment of our relationships and our marriages and our friendships, said, I don't need the map. I've got this. And we just stayed lost. And got angrier and angrier as if it was somebody else's fault that we couldn't read or didn't read the map. Now we have this, right? And it has saved many marriages, ours included, right? The problem is, is if you lose coverage or power, then you're back to square one, except it's worse because nobody has any maps anymore. Like I can't even go low tech. It's like, well, I guess we'll just sit here until the tower gets back up or something and we can find our way. The point is, is that God has given us his instruction in his word I don't want to get so cheesy, but yes, it's the GPS for our life. And if we are unwilling to read it and hear it and learn from it, then the Bible says, Proverbs says, we're foolish. That's nice, God. I appreciate it, but I've got this. Now watch this. Oh, he's watching. And man, has he seen some stuff. Watch. Watch Brent. It's like sometimes you think he probably gathers it. Guys, angels, come here. Watch what he's about to do. And he thinks I told him to do it. That's the worst part. We talked about this briefly in week one, how allergic we are to receiving instruction from other people. We'd rather learn it the hard way. Nope, I'm going to do it on my own. I got this. I don't need your help. I don't need your advice. I don't need your correction. I don't need your instruction. And the pinnacle goal of our lives is that we would have to uh, not be told or taught by anybody ever again it's my life I'm going to do it my way and I want to do it now 
The problem is, is that's not congruent with biblical Christianity at all. And there we have a collision of popular culture and costly Christianity, which says that I'm going to die to myself, even my own thoughts or wisdom or knowledge, because I think this is one of the biggest problems facing the church today, but it's not new. It's just something that we really have to fight. Hearing from somebody else, being willing to listen to somebody else, because being teachable means that you're going to have to have a humble admittance that at some point, and hopefully many points in your life, you don't know what God's trying to teach you through somebody else. I'll say that again. Hopefully you're going to come to a place in your life many times where you don't know what God's trying to teach you through somebody else. Lord, I can learn. Lord, I'm teachable. Therefore, you will have to listen. And it's impossible to talk and listen at the same time. But we keep trying. And the reception of the word of God demands a readiness to listen to the word of God because reluctance to listening to the word of God through whatever way that it's delivered, either by reading or by hearing, blocks the acceptance of truth in my life. Listening demands restrained speech. It demands verbal self-control. So remaining quiet with open ears is a posture of humility that the book of Proverbs is telling us to follow. It shows a willingness to receive instruction. It shows the wisdom of teachability. Here's what Proverbs says, 11, 12. What, whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. One's translation says, whoever shows their contempt openly. Proverbs 10, 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. So an obvious axiom for the teachable Christian seems to be this, listen more than you speak. That's an obvious core value of a, of a believer. I'm going to listen more than I talk. And although hearing matters to listening, it's not the only component. For example, plenty of people have heard me teach. Some of you have been hearing me teach for years. Plenty of people have sat with me at one-on-one at, -on -one at some place in time, whether it's in my office or somewhere else, and we've talked, and I've listened, and, and I've talked, and I leave these conversations just like I leave a Sunday morning thinking, well, I feel like they heard me. They said they heard me. They said they understood. But here's the deal. The apparent receptivity to the instruction that I may have given does not always materialize in the actions of real life. Listening and hearing are not manifested in the number of ears that hear, but in the number of lives that apply what they heard of the God-honoring instruction they received. What is your receptivity to instruction like? How willing are you to receive instruction? Or do you have too many caveats? I believe... The world has a lot of caveats of who they'll listen to and who they'll learn from. Again, not surprising. In the church, we should have a whole lot less. Let me say just a few caveats that I think oftentimes we have as it relates to who will listen to, who will learn from, who will allow to teach us. See if this rings true for you. How many qualifications before we listen to God's instruction in the body of Christ? They are too young. Hmm. 
I think I remember Paul telling Timothy not to worry about that. They're too immature. So are you still. So am I. Will be. They are too old. I'll stop right here before I continue with this list because I've always battled with the too young and the too old thing. As a leader and a pastor, I've been in ministry since I was about 16 years old. I did music ministry. I was a worship leader, a worship pastor. I came back here to the church that I was uh, at when I was a 16-year-old, which was in focus. And I came back and I became a part of the staff as an assistant in music. And then I became the worship pastor in 1997, just a little bit of history. And then I became the pastor of this church in August of 2005. Well, I was 25 years old at that point, or 35 years old at that point. God, I wish I was 25 at that point. I was 35 years old at that point. And I always thought, because there had been this time when I was a worship leader, and I would speak from time to time, but everybody always used to look at me as that 16-year-old, and it was like, man, he's just too young. They wouldn't necessarily say it out of their mouth, but oh, that's so nice that you love the Lord, but I'm not listening to you. Oh, that's so cute that you love Jesus. I'm so proud of you, but I'm not listening to you. Don't tell me what to do. I thought, well, maybe when I get 30, people will listen to me. I hit 30, and it didn't seem to change a whole lot. Maybe when I hit 40, that's like, that's the pinnacle age of, okay, he's old enough. We can listen now. Maybe when I hit 50, that'll do it. And what I found is there is this really small window, obviously, of being either too young or too old. And maybe I've missed it. I'm, I'm too old to be relevant. I'm too young to be heard. Just these qualifications that we have to be instructed by somebody. I'll keep going. They are female, they are male, they are too political, they're too legalistic, they're too naive, they're too religious, they're too white, they're too black, they are too fill in the blank. The problem is, is nobody's ever gonna be all of those things. There was only one perfect person and eventually everybody stopped listening to him too. So if you're waiting for perfection to be able to receive instruction, then I'm telling you it will never happen and you'll never walk in wisdom. But instead, if we would do what God has called us to do in the body of Christ, no matter if it's young, old, male, female, no matter the ethnicity or the background, say if God is speaking through this person, through his word, then I'm going to have the humility to listen and to hear what God wants to teach me. Billy, being willing to receive this instruction is a major part of being teachable and walking in wisdom and being willing to receive instruction has lots of different components. Like the first is that we would what? Apply it and implement it. That's the idea, right? I'm not just gonna hear, but I'm gonna apply and implement the knowledge that I have learned in my life decisions daily, normal life decisions, because information without implementation does not reflect a teachable heart. I used to say that implementation or information without implementation causes stagnation, and it does spiritually, but it's actually worse than that. It causes a hard heart because the more I hear the truth of God and the more I listen to the truth of God and I don't apply the truth of God, the harder my heart gets. The more foolish I become. Proverbs would say it's unwise to hear, to read the word of God and not follow it. 
Secondly, another component to being receptive to instruction is to pursue it and to obey it. Pursue instruction and obey instruction. Not only do we apply, we seek it out. Like I'm not just going to get it by osmosis. I'm not just going to get it on, in passing just on Sunday morning or, or just because something hit me the right way when I was driving down the road. That may, may very well happen. But the truth of the matter is, is that I seek it out. I diligently seek out the wisdom of God. Proverbs 18:15. the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the wise what seek it out apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge proverbs 23 12 do we desire to know the lord's instruction or not so much so that we're determined to seek it out committed to apply it to our lives and then keep doing it for the rest of our lives we're never too old to learn we never get to a place where we've figured it all out. And whether we're pursuing a life of wisdom is indicated by how much time, how much value we receive from the instruction that we find in God's word. How much we seek out God's wisdom and instruction in his word and then apply it and obey it in our lives. How badly do we want to live a life that honors God and follow godly instruction? And it's pretty, pretty evident by the amount of time that we spend reading the instructions he's given us. In his word. Proverbs 10 verse 8 says, The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. I've left the third component of receiving instruction for last because it's the hardest. How many of you like to be corrected? Because if you, if you do, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it right now. No, I'm kidding. Nobody likes to be corrected. Specifically by the people that are closest to us. Like, I don't want my wife, I don't want my kids, I don't want my parents, I don't want other people to tell me that I'm wrong. I don't know, it's, it's the pride in us. Like, don't tell me, I know, I just don't need you to tell me. And yet, Proverbs tells us that the wise person, the godly person, the person who's pursuing righteousness will receive correction or reprimand. Like you, I don't enjoy correction, but the times that I've needed it the most and the times that I've been humble enough to receive it, even maybe begrudgingly, it's been freedom in life to me. Proverbs 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> that's got, no, nobody thinks that's funny. Okay, I think that's hilarious. I'm like, whoever hates reproof is stupid. Stupid. It's like, what translation is that? It's the ESV. It's not some weird translation. It's not Brent's translation. It's ESV. Proverbs 15, 12. Mockers resent correction. So what do they do? They avoid the wise. This is speaking of an abject rejection of discipline and correction. And I know the D word is a bad word in our minds, but it's not to God and it's not in his word. It's not bad word to the writer of Proverbs who's being inspired by God, right? Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, which is echoed in Hebrews 12, really solidifies how God feels about discipline and how his loving heart is for those that he loves. Watch this. Proverbs 3, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And then the writer of Hebrews echoes Proverbs when he says this, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you, addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
You see some of the Hebrew saints seem to struggle with the same things that we struggle with, which was, well, I'm going through a very difficult season of life. I'm going through some suffering in my life. So I'm, I'm prone to think that maybe this faith thing in God isn't real. I'm, I'm prone to believe that maybe this isn't really for me. Doubting their faith because they're going through a season of suffering. But the writer wants them to know that divine discipline is not an evidence that God has forgotten you. It's an evidence of the fact that you're his child, his son, his daughter. Fathers discipline their children. Why? Because they are his children and he loves them. Just like we would do the same with our children, to discipline them, to keep them from doing something that we know would cause them harm. So when God chastens us or disciplines us, it is evidence of his great love for us. His goal is always that we would turn away from things that would hurt us, turn away from even sin in our lives, be forgiven, and ultimately rest and grow in Christ. We would rest in him, that we would grow in him. So if we willingly accept correction, reprimand, then we will progress on the pathway of wisdom. And you might think, well, man, if we're always receiving correction, doesn't that mean that we're always making wrong decisions? Not necessarily. It means we're learning. It means that we're making a decision now based on what we learned in the past, that we received correction and now we're walking in wisdom. It means we're growing more because we're learning from our experiences the most. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Another important component of being teachable on your way to being wise is that you need to know your limits. Know your limitations. It's embarrassing, right, if we don't know our limitations. Listen, we've all been in those situations. It could be in music, it could be in sports, it could be in any area of life, an arena of life, where somebody didn't know their limitations. I used to play more golf than I do now, and, and I could, I, I had these funny times where I would be out there, right, and I'd play with somebody, maybe somebody I've never played with before, and invariably, right, you're at the tee box, and, you know, everybody's teeing off for the first time, you're watching what everybody's doing, it's like, how's this round gonna go with this foursome, and, and then all of a sudden, this person that you never played with just shanks it right off into the woods, and the first thing that comes out of our mouth is, I never do that. I never do that, except that's exactly what they do for the next 17 holes, I never do that. No, I think what you never do is actually hit it in the fairway. That's what you never do. <laughs> know your limitations. It can be musical, right? The American Idol effect. Listen, I'm one of the best singers. My mama told me so. Baby, you couldn't carry a tune in a bucket if I gave it to you. Like, no, you can't sing. Know your limitations. I had to know my limitations. I wasn't going to get an athletic scholarship to school. So guess what? I got a music scholarship. I love sports. I played every sport I could. But I had to know my limitations. And what the book of Proverbs is saying is, know your limitations when it comes to wisdom. All of us have to admit that we have limits when it comes to wisdom. That's why the book of Proverbs gives us a reality check so we're not deceived into thinking that we're wise, wiser than we are, or that we really don't need the Lord's instruction in order to make decisions. As somehow that we can go through life going, I've got this. But the self-sufficiency is what Proverbs reminds us is dangerous. Proverbs 28, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Trusting in yourself is the destructive antithesis of trusting in the Lord. Scripture, Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. So walking in wisdom is synonymous with walking in the fear of the Lord. And even that is hard for us to grasp. The fear of the Lord that is coupled with God is is also loving at the same time. There's never a point where God is just one part of his character. He's always one God. He is both fearful, someone that we have fear of, and then also someone that loves us unconditionally. We can't grasp that with our mind, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's impossible to be both wise in your own eyes and seek out the Lord's instruction while pursuing wisdom at the same time. And if you overestimate your own wisdom, if you overestimate your own knowledge, if you don't question yourself, if you don't have a little bit of curiosity about what you're feeling and what you're thinking and what you think you ought to do, if you don't take the counsel of God's word and the wisdom of those around you, then you're never going to grasp the essential teaching of Proverbs, which is saying this, everyone one needs instruction everybody again you've heard me say it before we live in a super individualistic world where we want our independence we don't typically want to learn from anybody we want to do it on our own i've got this proverbs says this just is foolish proverbs 12:15 maybe you've heard the scripture before the way of fools seems right to them but the wise listen to advice. Or Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? Thinks they know more than they do. There's more hope for a fool than for them. We need God to rescue us from the folly and the foolishness of thinking that we're always right or always looking at our own decisions in the most privileged and best of lights. Like, okay, I I perceive myself in the most positive of ways. But we need God to rescue us from our own wisdom. And in order to do that, we have to admit that we need God's wisdom. There's a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. Proverbs 14, 12. Finally, and lastly, the the most challenging, I believe, of all of these is that there are others who are on this pathway of wisdom along with us. It's called the body of Christ. It's called the church. And wisdom is found within the community and the fellowship of believers who are pursuing wisdom together. In some cases, walking with the wise means this. It means that we're living with people who are just a little bit further along in their spiritual journey than I am. A little bit further along in their spiritual journey than you are. And you walk up alongside them and you're able to listen and they're able to provide some practical wisdom and instruction about the common experiences of life. It could be stewardship of money. It could be marriage. It could be parenting. It could be spiritual disciplines. It could be ministry in general. Whatever it is, they have some wisdom that I don't and I'm humble enough to be able to listen and learn and grow in wisdom and righteousness Proverbs 13 20 says walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm simple life lesson here we become like those whose company we keep we used to say it this way show me your friends and I'll show you your future We become like those whose company we keep. Maybe we've been too focused on making friends and we should have been focused on making family. 
What do I mean? Some of you don't need another friend. You need a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. You don't need another buddy. You need a brother or a sister in Christ who will speak to you honestly. You don't need another peer. You need a pastor who will speak wisdom into your life and that you're humble enough to listen to and receive because wisdom rises and grows and flourishes in the relationships of humility and love and servanthood that God has given us in the body of Christ. That's walking with the wise. Wisdom is not an individualistic, solitary achievement. It's a corporate and relational achievement. Listen, like anybody else, I can be a real loner. And I can think, well, I just need to get alone with Jesus in my Bible. That's all I need, just me and Jesus in my Bible. And then I'll be fine. I don't need all that. God, you can, you can teach me. And he's like, yes, I can, but I'm going to use somebody in your life to do it. You need somebody, even when you're reading the Bible, to help that knows a little bit more than you to make sure you're not interpreting it wrongly. You could do the right thing the wrong way, and it's wrong. That's reading the Word of God and not knowing what it's saying. That's why at the age of 51, yesterday, I was sitting at my table all day writing a survey on the book of Exodus when I would have preferred watching football. Because I'm not too old to learn. None of us are too old to learn. We can be too foolish to learn, but Proverbs says, no, walk with the wise. Do you have somebody in your life that is the fruit of wisdom coming off the tree of their life? Walk with them. Do you know somebody in the body of Christ that is further ahead of you but still teachable? Walk with them. Do you know wise people who still listen to others and invite people from different ethnicities and different socioeconomic statuses and different political or spiritual viewpoints to speak into your lives? Walk with them. Do you know a person who demonstrates a willingness to learn and is open to others? Then if so, walk with them. Get around them. Persevere with them. Walk with them a little bit longer. Let them encourage you. Let them counsel you. Let them correct you. Let them instruct you wherever you need it in your life. It's a long, hard, winding road, but it's worth it to walk with the wise. What or who are the influences in your life? If they're foolish, just think how you're compounding foolishness. Just think about the fact that if you've said, God, I've got this, and all you do is surround yourself with other people that say, I've got this, what kind of foolishness is coming out of those relationships? Because together we act like we've got it under control and we don't. Proverbs 14, 7 says, stay away from a fool for you will not find knowledge on their lips. That doesn't say not evangelize a fool. It's just don't walk like you're one with a fool. Don't become the companion of someone who's not pursuing godly wisdom. On the other hand, walking with the wise, godly companionship, you will get wise counsel, strengthen one another as you pursue wisdom and righteousness together. This is walking in community in the same direction. That's what Amos says. How could two walk together unless they agree? 
See, the severity of the consequences when you turn away from walking with the wise within the community and the body of Christ is more uh, worse than I can describe. We are in desperate need to walk in wisdom and to walk with wise people who can help us to become more like Christ. We need to stay as close to those people as we can for as long as we can. We need guidance. And to get that, we need to be teachable. To be teachable, to review, we need to listen more than we talk, apply what we hear. We need to know our limitations. And we need to walk with the wise. The wise that God has put in our lives. As I said, through his word, he's teaching us. And through the lives of other people. Brother and sister in Christ, a spiritual father, spiritual mentor, spiritual mother. A true friend. Like Jesus is a friend, right? Because the reason that we can have these relationships is because there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and that was Jesus, so that every other relationship that we have can rightly flow out of that relationship. I don't know what your level of teachability is when it comes to listening to me. But I hope that you understand that God has placed me and the other leaders in the positions that we are in so that we can be those who rightly divide the word of God in such a way that would instruct you and equip you for godly living. We can hear, but do we apply? And the reason that we can hear and apply today is because there was one person not just sticking closer than a brother, but there was one who said, it is finished. And it's the only one who could ever say, I've got this and actually did. Jesus said, I've got this. I'm going to obey the Father. It's finished. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And because he had this and has always had this and still has this, when you and I can come to the place where we admit that we don't, I ain't got nothing unless I've got Jesus helping me. It's impossible for me to do anything without him. And when we admit that, that's the first place of wisdom. And then we receive what God has for us in the body of Christ through whomever he places in and around us to receive from his word, then we'll be humble enough to be teachable. And if we're teachable, then we will walk with the wise as God has intended us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.